You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical video today show we're going to be doing the 1987 undisputed classic commentary track halloween special of hellraiser nice i am excited despite it being a commentary track uh <laughs> and often wondering like i do with most of these bigger films what will we have to say about it I mean, I'm sure we'll have an hour and 33 minutes worth of things to say about it. Yes. Um, but I always wonder, like, are we just going to lapse into silence and sit here and enjoy our favorite movie? No, we won't. And we won't, Lids, because like all of our other commentary track Halloween specials, we are going to have the sound off. We're going to be reading the dialogue so we won't get lost in traditionally watching a movie. Because I feel like if the sound... Well, first of all, we'd get sued. Second of all, um, if the sound was on, yeah, we would just sit there in silence going, uh, I'd love this part. But we can tell anecdotes and stories and, and shit like that. This is not necessarily going to be like a pop-up video uh, where we're giving a lot of facts and figures about them. I mean, we and know I'm not very smart. You know, come on, you come, you come on now. Come on, don't listen to her. We're Professor West here to tell <laughs> us the pop up video facts. We both have watched uh, massive amounts and read massive amounts of commentary and um, the like, basically documentary information on this film so we, we mm-hmm. probably could sit here and do a pop-up video on it true uh, i know that uh, you're very well versed in the um in the actual clive barker books uh that this stuff's based on um i know a little bit about the comic books that have been made in this universe mm-hmm. uh we've done a lot of thinking about the cenobites in our lives i feel like oh yeah and we've talked about these films in tangentially in from other shows we're talking about mm-hmm. other movies that uh, harken back to this who have maybe uh, derived from this other writers who have used very similar characters or actors and actresses that have crossed over into other things other Clyde Barker properties yeah there's been a lot of stuff and this is something that I actually want to ask you because most of our commentary tracks have been certain subgenres of horror because it seems that the biggest of the big, the horror movies that people talk the most about are the subgenre of slashers. I'm very hesitant to refer to something like Texas Chainsaw as a slasher because I don't think that it is, but I know some people put that character of Leatherface in the same grouping as Freddy and Jason and all of them. Same with Pinhead, but let me ask you this. Do you think in the pantheon of horror icons that are traditionally all slashers, does Pinhead belong? No. Uh, Julia Cotton belongs as a slasher. She really does. Um, And we'll talk about how we feel about the the two different tones going on in this Mm -hmm. film. Uh, So if you're looking for slasher material, yes, the the movie Hellraiser could be considered a slasher. People would mistakenly attribute that to someone like Pinhead because he's the most iconic baddie looking guy. So when you think 
Hellraiser, is it a slasher? Yes. Why? Pinhead? Question mark. Profit! Exclamation point. Like, I, <laughs> no, Pinhead is not a slasher icon. No, I agree with you. I think that when Pinhead does any type of killing, it's so... He doesn't touch people. He is... People are so beneath him. Why? I couldn't imagine him yeah. touching people. And also the thing, and this is my this is my comment about Leatherface and why I don't consider him a slasher, because I don't consider him an independent thing like the others. He is part of the Sawyer family, mm-hmm. which is a family of killers. The movies are always the Saw's family. It's in the fucking. It's all about that. So. Pinhead, although the most iconic Cenobite, is not just the only Cenobite. And the no, movies and are- There's been many arguments made that he's not the leader, quote unquote, of the Cenobites either. Although then you read the Scarlet Gospels and you understand a little more about that pantheon. For sure. For sure. But and and when I first saw the Hellraiser movies, Pinhead wasn't even my favorite. One, I was, I was always, was it? I was a chatterer boy. A chatterer boy. Yeah, I liked the chatter. Chatterer scared me the most. Butterball freaked me out the most. But I liked Barbie Wilde's character, the female. Yeah, a very cool. Like, I, and, and let me say this: just because I like the chatterer the best doesn't mean I don't like the other. Satellites. Oh, sure. Yeah. And and I will definitely not argue that Pinhead gets some of the best lines, but. Barbie Wilde's character also has cool lines in this flick, too. Now, I had always thought, even from the first watching this, I'm like, are these independent creatures? Are all these all aspects of one thing? They certainly talk like they are of a hive mind. They finish each other's... It's the Borg. And I always thought the Borg were very Cenobite-y. And I think it would be ridiculous not to assume that the by the time, by the, time the Borg made their first appearance in Star Trek... Hellraiser had happened. Yeah. And there's, there is, you're fucking right. Yeah. Because they are just Cenobites. They're robot Cenobites. They're robot Cenobites. Yeah. Sexy as hell. Yeah. Very well, cool. if you find Cenobites sexy or the Borg sexy. I, I, everyone. I, who doesn't I find Cenobites? probably sexier than Cenobites, but. Um, I mean, the um, um, oh my God, the Borg Queen. I don't want to get, listen, gang, I don't want to get into a whole thing about my thing with the Borg Queen when Star Trek First Contact came out because, oh my God, but. Wow, I did not even know that Wes was a Star Trek fan. This is fun. This yeah, is fun. I'm, I'm, I'm a massive Star Trek fan. Okay. Seen every episode of every incarnation, seen every movie <laughs> um, multiple times. But uh, yeah, but. Very strong parallels between the Cenobites and the Borg. And although we do get origin stories and understand that the Cenobites are all unique creatures. Um, it's hard with this film in particular to not just assume they're aspects of one thing. Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, you might get some dog sounds. There might be some dog sounds because we're doing the raw, unedited. This is this is <laughs> this is the commentary track where we work the hardest on the delivery. We're not as lazy as usual, so yeah. that we can be lazy later. So future Wes and Lydia can be lazy. Yeah, I'm not going to pick up my phone and look up facts and figures. Sometimes I do that. I'm not going to text my friends while Lydia's talking and then just give a kind of non-committal answer to what she's saying. <laughs> Listen. I really had toyed with the idea, and I mean, I may do this in a poll situation if you think it's a good idea, of hooking, hooking up my Google Home so that if we did need a 
question answered, we could say, hey, Google, and get an answer. Oh, my God. Like, the future. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. Could incorporate, is it okay to incorporate Google into our show? I feel like people would, you know, because sometimes the reviews on iTunes and shit like that refer to us as having, like, encyclopedic knowledge of horror, and I'd hate to lose that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if we were ever stumped, right? It's like, it's true. very rare. I think it's probably once every four shows where I edit out a part where we're like, wait a second, did so-and-so so-and-so or so-and-so so-and-so? I don't mm. know. Let's look it up. And there's a big gap of silence. Like, it's maybe one in every four shows that yeah. we look something up. I feel like we usually come prepared. Like, oh, like, hell yeah. 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 You definitely do. You have your, uh, was it mindscaping? Yeah. Um, mind mapping. Mind I do mapping. mind mapping while I'm noting things. And sometimes before we watch a show, I'll be like, hey, yeah, so-and-so actress is in this. Let's, I'm going to look her up and see mm. where the hell she's from. Especially if it's someone I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This In this particular instance, I've been so busy. Um, it's going to be a challenge for me to keep my eyes open for the duration <laughs> of the movie. I didn't look anything up, but then, as we had said, we have pro- probably what you could consider encyclopedic knowledge of this universe, this film, mm-hmm. and the Cenobites themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for me personally, uh, coming into this, I've definitely spent a lot of time... Uh, thinking about the Cenobites because as a young horror fan, these characters really captured my imagination. Like, I don't know what it was specifically about them, but I remember seeing a, a, a standee in the video store for probably, well, which one was, were they in space? Is that four? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Five and bloodlines. Yes. The yeah. bloodlines and uh, the bloodlines. And I, this huge image of Pinhead, the glowing lament configuration. And I'm, I'm like, what am I like fucking like eight, nine years old? I got to know more. Like, and this was a film franchise that was, man, I kind of feel like my parents were like super iffy with this one with me. They usually were pretty permissive, but I, I, I like, there was just, this talks about, such dark things like in terms of goofy horror and even though they tried to lighten up pinhead mm-hmm. uh over the years that's one of the biggest criticisms was like they kind of try to make him more quippy yeah more uh, like, like more like a freddy, freddy krueger yeah. because they said they had the opportunity of oh here's a a killer or a, or a creature that kills that could be funny because he actually talks you know with michael and jason you're kind of leatherface you're kind of your hands are tied you can't really have them say anything yeah but Pinhead, you sure can. But I even even his quippiest, I don't find him. I still find the tone of all these movies fairly serious. Fairly serious, and very dark. I mean, there's there's parts in three that are silly, straight up silly. Yeah, but it's not usually Pinhead being very silly. It's still a very dry delivery. Mm-hmm. And we were having a conversation off mic earlier, just about someone who can master a comedy may not be a goofy, funny sort of comedy that they're delivering. It's... I have free reign to edit the beginning part. You do, yeah. (laughs) It's perhaps a delivery of absurdity and timing that can make comedy 
for like for people that don't have a funny bone in their body if they can master absurdity and timing and timing is one thing that that pinhead has unexpected things that he'll yeah. say you know yeah comedy comes from can is as needs a straight man as much as it needs a goofy person right and and pinhead was the ultimate straight man because ultimate straight man yeah, yeah and, and i wish i could remember thomas had asked me once he was like yo there was something you said about comedy and defining comedy and horror and and why the two have such similar reactions uh, and i can't remember where it was you said this and neither can i and I remember saying quite a bit on the topic. And I remember having a really definitive point one day. I don't know where it is either. I don't know what I said, but it was it was brilliant, <laughs> I guess. But it was like, is this the same sort of thing where horror and comedy are very close that people want Pinhead to be more one-lining and quippy because he's talking about like such sacrilegious, dark things that are common within the human psyche that the reaction to a lot of people of a lot of people to what Pinhead has to say is almost mirth because they're shocked. I think you might be onto something. Pers- it would take me a week to articulate that. Personally speaking, there is such majesty and grace and grotesque beauty to the Cenobites and Pinhead with his long robes and and just his straight posture and the way that they like that character and everything just seems so beneath him, so beyond our comprehension. And the character has such contempt for pedestrian things. And I think that that's what I responded to. I loved this grand pontificating guy sermonizing his dark message and uh, funny to me was just anytime that i thought pinhead was being funny was just my laughing because i was getting off on the idea in a way of just this badass being the smartest one in the room who just knew everything and and every and every human mere mortal just trying to like stutter out their thoughts and feelings where he's just you know just so he's so much content oh not only is he sure of what he thinks he knows what you think already too so yeah it makes life easy for pinhead yeah and i think that there's an urge i think for the unsophisticated to want to knock someone like him down a peg yeah or a pin a, hmm, well punny here <laughs> punhead what's punhead night <laughs> and that i think that and i and i I shouldn't say unsophisticated. It sounds like a, a jab at people, but maybe it is, you know, that if you're not in awe of somebody like Pinhead, if that person thing did exist and you want to be the jester about it, then there's, mm-hmm. you know, what you're trying to bring them down to your level. They won't succumb to that. Particularly in the 1980s when this film was released, particularly in 1987, where even the films that started out scary and serious were becoming ridiculous. Um, I mean, we're on the cusp in, in 1987 of Texas Chainsaw 2, which was coming out in the year. So, which, you know, ridiculous ad campaign. Freddy Krueger was Bugs Bunny with knives on his hands. A lot of the most extreme horror was comedy adjacent, if not yeah. straight up horror comedy. Yeah, a lot of stuff was coming out, was on the, the cusp of coming out. And this film, I use, I use Hellraiser as an example. 
the entity as well of of, of Un, unfunny. They're Absolutely not funny. Unfunny. They're not funny at all. And the things that this deals with aren't fucking funny. Everything from like the dynamics of this family to the Cenobites themselves, it's not funny. Is part of this because you know they're they're you doing. Uh, special effects with blood and gore mm. in, in Giallo and the like pre eighties, mm-hmm. all the pre eighties films, and it's like blood and blood splatter basically, mm-hmm. um, and it could look pretty visceral and it could look pretty mm. real, but then you started surpassing that and doing some like really convoluted effects mm. and getting into the Tom Savini area areas mm-hmm. where maybe you didn't have the knowledge of an army medic. To pull these things off properly. Mm. So you tried and it ended up looking kind of goony. Mm. And the only way to really salvage that is to make it a horror comedy because your effects look goony. Yeah. Is that partially why so many of these movies at this time when they're experimenting so much with latex? I think that what happens, and we were even seeing this in major blockbuster films like Poltergeist, uh, where they they had very obvious prosthetics, uh, you know, that face ripping scene is really reminiscent of it where originally the special effects that people like Tom Savini and, uh, and in the early days, Rick Baker and them were trying to do before, you know, the Rob Bottin days and shit. It was all about making something look as authentic as possible. And anything that wasn't convincing, you could cut away, you could put dark lighting around it yeah. or whatever. When the FX people became the rock stars, when it stopped being actors in like the 50s, oh, 40s, 30s, 40s, and stuff like that, then it became the auteur directors of the 1960s and 1970s. Then in horror, 80s, it was the FX rock stars. It's rock stars, thanks to Fangoria and, yeah. and all this uh, attention that was being driven to then. When you're rock stars, when people are coming to your movie because Tom Savini's doing it, or Rick Baker's doing it, or Rob Bottin's doing it, or Stan Winston's doing it, you want to show the special effects. No matter how goony they you look. You want to linger on them. And, and they lingered on them. And I don't think that there is a way that you can linger on some... like particularly as things keep getting bumped up to 4K and, and mm-hmm. we watch these on bigger and more crisper screens and shit, I, I, I think that you can't help but, but wonder, well, why? Why? I was like, because this is what was putting asses in the seats, particularly when a vast majority of these films were coming out direct-to-video, which they didn't have the money. But people were, were going because of that rock star attitude to the, uh, to the special effects, and I think that it lent itself to comedy because you couldn't treat it seriously because no one was going to, you know, modern day reaction could be like, Oh, did I can't believe like people thought this was real. This was scary. They didn't think this was real. They didn't think that they weren't looking at a robot face. They knew that it's like when you were looking at stop motion animation, no one thought that skeletons were running around. It was a fucking, it was a model. (laughs) You're making fun of Sinbad now. You're making fun of Sinbad. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I, the Harryhausen thing, yes. I I, but, I think everyone understood what the stop motion was, but there is sort of that you wanting to suspend disbelief when the effects are very, very well done. True, yeah. I like to see things behind... I like to see how the filmmaking process is made while I'm watching a movie. I know a lot of people love film for escapism, and I can too, but I think that's what the, works for this, is because 
um, the Cenobites come off as very authentic. There's there's the one thing in this movie that I find goony that I, I uh, but it's so weird looking that I still dig it is the like the the Frank reanimation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because I found that every time I watch it, I'm still astounded. At what oh, oh, sorry, no, good. not the not the the the, the Frank reanimation. Okay. The the creature in the closet. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. Like the pink the thing banana the thing. No, Frank's reanimation. Oh my god, and we're gonna talk about that as oh, yeah, that scene okay. is happening. Like holy fuck. Yeah. My job. Anyway, we'll talk about that when the movie starts. Yeah. Holy shit. Which it will start soon. Yes. We've been talking for 20 minutes. Is there anything you want to get to before we get into Hellraiser and actually hit play here and do a countdown? No. Yeah, but that's what's going to happen. Uh, as we said before, there's going to be no sound. You're going to hear me and Lydia talk. And we're going to count down. And when I say three, Lydia's going to hit play. And then we're going to be off and running. We're at zero zero one second right now mm-hmm. and then yeah we're off to the races and and if you feel like it you know put your put your copy we're li- we're watching the arrow you have the beautiful yeah uh, the scarlet scarlet box set yeah it's wonderful it's really wonderful and it's sitting on a big uh lament configuration yeah the lament configuration at one point had held um singles like um records so it was a vinyl um, case. It's a wonderful, wonderful set piece for our home. It's one of the only Hellraiser things in the upstairs, I believe. But, yeah. But oh, no, there's a pinhead behind me. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Have that, the, you know, it's all class. That's what I'll say about all your stuff. It's super class. Well, thank you, sir. It's, it's Chris's stuff, too, right? Like, yeah. I, I, have, I have pretty crummy taste. I have pretty minimalistic taste, that's for sure. But we did did a good job decorating up here. Mm-hmm. But there are um, some some Hellraiser related things in the house, that's for sure, because we're both big fans. I've always been a, a big big fan. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But is it, what about you, Wicked Library stuff? Yeah, there's gonna be the Wicked Library anthology coming out before Halloween, so mm-hmm. uh, I'll probably have a little more news by the time this drops. Definitely by the time part two drops. Mm-hmm. So. Hang tight. I'm getting little tidbits of news that I can't talk about here and there mm. as things come together, but I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the 13 Wicked Tales from the Wicked Library, for um, sure. All right. So I'm going to count down from three, and then Lydia is going to press play, and then we're going to be off to the races. And uh, yeah, we're going to just, like I guess, talk through the whole damn movie. We're going to be the right. annoying people. Yep. So when you hear the beep... Turn the page. Remember those books on I record? I do remember those books on record. I like that. We had a uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yeah. I had a bunch of Gremlins ones. Oh. And a He-Man one. But I, I would I would literally... Gang, if you're listening out there and you have the old 45 records of the Gremlins and the books to tape, I will bury a Bowie knife to the hilt in someone's chest for them. Uh, I'll also give you money. Or, yeah, or pay money. <laughs> I will give you money for those. All right, and three, two, and one. And we're off and running. The one thing that I'll say about this film, as I've said many times for all the biggest franchise in horror, is uh, I really was shocked at the tone of this movie the first time I saw it. Oh, really? Because the, the other ones, there's so much more Cenobites. There's so much, you know. This- Did you have a little more, like, that feeling that people get when they've watched all the other Evil Dead installations, but then they watch the first one for the first yes. time, and they're freaked out because it's dark and not funny? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Clive Barker's Hellraiser, right at the top. No, had he done, had he done something before this? Was he just known as a very famous author? Was this his first? He did like books of blood and stuff like that. Yeah. He hadn't done films though that I know of. He done um, art school films, yeah. from what I understand. Okay. Uh, I I'm not see there's I have no encyclopedic knowledge of Clive Barker. Well, that's okay. <laughs> Especially when it comes to films. Introducing Ashley Lawrence. It's like a it's like a Jamie Lee Curtis type thing. She's not that interesting of an actress really. Like I like her in this for sure, but mm-hmm. introducing Ashley Lawrence, that's setting somebody up for something, isn't it? <laughs> what if she sucked? What if people hated her? <laughs> introducing your nemesis, Ashley Lawrence. Do you ever find it weird that in certain sitcoms, uh, the last person that would be in the opening credits would be like, and so-and-so as the character? I was like, why are they the only one who got their character's name at the bottom of their name? I always thought that was weird. It's got to be it's a one-off person because you're, you're supposed to know who everybody else is. But I always find that was like if there was like a funny grandpa or like a, or a, a horny grandma, there would be, they would always be like... <laughs> And so-and-so as Man Crazy Mona. Written and directed by Clive Barker. So we start out in the same place that Gremlin starts, right? <laughs> sort of. I think, like, I love that transition, by the way. I would, yeah. No, that was pretty, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Ugh. That's why I keep my fingernails clipped really short, because uh, I can't stand dirt underneath the fingernails. I think they put dirt under Frank's nails specifically for this scene. Yeah, I know. It's to make all... him look like third world. And... God, well, he's he's like this this explorer on the edge of the extreme, right? To put it like to put it eloquently, yes, that's exactly what Frank is and does. He's also just a perv. He's a dirty, dirty perv. Look at that sweat sheen. He probably dipped himself in olive oil there. It's you, you want to know how hot it would be being that close to that many candles? Do you think all this is necessary? Because no one else in any other movie, when they summon the Cenobites, has like candles around them. This is what blows his hair back. You know, he's thinking it's some sort of uh, sex magic thing. Right? He's hoping it's some sort of sex magic thing. (laughs) He probably just thinks that uh, he would be... This is like an extension of his tantric sex that he definitely knows all about where he could just have like a three-hour orgasm. People talk about this as... um like some sort of precursor to a lot of persons interest in BDSM or like the sexuality of it all. The first uh, couple times I watched this, it was devoid of any real sexual connotations to me, except for adultery. Like that's, and that to me isn't very sexy. So I, I didn't find it like a sexy film or these to be sexy creatures. I think the concept, did you read the, did you read the book first or did you watch the movie first? Um, I had watched the movie first. Um, I was quite young when I watched this. Oh, Frank. That wouldn't go well at all, did it? <laughs> Do you think that someone would go to all the trouble of like traversing, I don't know where he is, like India or something like that, and then and and get the lament configuration, pay thousands of dollars for it, and not know that if you solved that puzzle, you were going to get hooks in your skin? Maybe no one had taken it to that extreme. Like, no one had solved the puzzle, maybe. Or maybe. people who had acquired it weren't interesting to the Cenobites. This movie is really kicking you in the balls right away to let you know what you're in for. This this set is awesome. I love the chains. You get a little Cenobite action. 
you get uh, so uh, uh, Grace Kirby as the the female in this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and one of the things about it was like as much as you know Barbie Wilde in the in the second one, you, you gotta love that. But like, I'm always like, why can't they get the same actor for the same? Is it the same character? Do you view the the female Cenobite in this one as the same female Cenobite in the second one? Uh, I do. Yes, yeah. I do. I just feel that it's the exact same character, different actress, but we don't. You don't notice necessarily. Do you think like like whatever uh, whatever Frank's experiencing in in this moment, having his face kind of Picassoed around? Um, I wonder if uh, like. Is pain even describable? Like, would that hurt? Or, like, it's like a mystical level of pain, right? It's a mystical level of pain when your face is being torn into that many chunks. Yes, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) There's, like, this weird... um, When they're introducing uh, this movie to uh, the uninitiated... They're trying to give this sense of a world overlapping onto another world. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time, obviously, I've ever watched this movie with the sound off. and Which is, I will point out right away, that that is a travesty and it feels so wrong. It feels so wrong because we want to hear those overwhelming orchestral Oh my God, the soundtrack. Strings. Oh my God, yes. The soundtrack. It's wonderful. We're missing it, but... I used to have, um, I used to have the um, DVD menu just playing in the mm-hmm. background. We have some vinyl around, like it's it, it's wonderful thing to listen to. It's an absolutely wonderful thing to listen to, and it always has been. But you know, it's fine. I get to miss out on Julia's voice. That's great. Uh, maybe we can steep a little more and notice a little more about what she's doing with her makeup and hair now. She does have a very powerful, <laughs> powerful shoulder pads, powerful hair. Yep, yeah, she reminds me a lot of Lady Di, you know, for some reason. Yeah, there's that, there's that sort of sophisticated, vague business '80s businesswoman look to her. Massive shoulder pads. Yeah, just power, power suit, you know. Power suit, feathered hair, and. Like, I don't know. She has a more remarkable makeup than the, the princess would have ever uh, gotten away with. But yeah, yeah, she's quite the quite the look. I don't think we'd be able to talk about Hellraiser without talking about Julia's makeup. <laughs> uh, Larry doesn't look like that blazer fits him very well. No, he looks like he's uh, wearing something someone's buried in. <laughs> Speaking of Star Trek, he would go on to play a character in Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine, Gareth. Nice, nice. Uh, or Garrick. Sorry, it was the he was always in in heavy makeup as a Cardassian, but uh, it was one of my favorite characters on that show. We had watched a film just recently, which uh, the the name of it eludes me. It might have been called The Convent mm. or something, and uh, um, Claire Higgins was in it. As a nun, and it was wonderful to see her. She's aged mm. really well. She's a really, really good-looking lady, mm. and she is even in this. As much as I'm like fun of her feathered hair, and it's almost like subdued new wave makeup. It's mm. quite crazy. Glitter on a middle-aged woman is never a, a sound choice. This is a product of the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah. Oh, God, fucking damn it. Yep, bugs. 
I fucking can't stand maggots. Oh my god, I can't stand maggots. I was watching um, crime scene cleanup videos, and they refer to them as cute and squeaky. And I was like, Wes would beg to differ. They're not cute and squeaky. (laughs) This is somehow not as offensive to me as people walking through a house that they've bought that they've never been in before. But this place is fucking trash. Yeah, it really is. But, I mean, I guess that's all he cared about up until the time he got torn to pieces was smoking cigarettes and banging chicks, right? So why keep a tidy house? Could you bang chicks in a house like this? He could. I I guess. No. There is something... I'm not gay, too, so I wouldn't bang chicks in a house like this regardless. (laughs) But... Yeah, no, it is is a a pretty slimy, like... House it probably didn't even have hydro or whatever, but so it's like a punk house for one guy. It is a punk house for one guy, mm-hmm. or a crack house for for waiting for people for to move in. You know, watching this without audio gives us it seen a whole different angle. Like I'm super bitchy daughter screaming, yelling, bitchy daughter. Hello, lovely daughter that I love so much. Like the look on Larry's face is just of adoration. <laughs> well, it's not their daughter, but whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So there is like uh, he he likes to take fun photos. And those don't look like Polaroids either. Like he took those somewhere to get them developed. Yeah, yeah. No, they're not Polaroids. Um, that or he had a dark room. I mean, it's a big enough house. He could ha- easily have a dark room in there. This definitely would have been the time for a dark room. We had a dark room when I was. Uh, color up. processing is is a whole different world, though. So he might have got those developed somewhere else because color is a lengthy pain-in-the-ass process where you do need full dark to process it. Um, black and white, you can get away with the red light in your dark room. Mm. But, yeah. There was some black and white stuff in there. There was, yeah. It's all pretty, pretty fucking porny. That's for sure. It is. And also, someone had to be taking those photos. Not necessarily. Oh, maybe he had... Like uh, one of those tripwire things. Do they have those in the 80s? Yeah, they definitely... Oh, they had them... I'm stretching back beyond the 40s, if not beyond. Yeah. Holy shit. It shows what I know. And all it is is a cable release. Now, she's just been looking through those photos and seeing very tense. Like, perhaps almost there might be some reason that uh, she's bothered by them. You know, you'd want to think like, oh, is it this conservative curiosity <laughs> well, I never. Or is it, you know, jealousy to a certain extent? Yeah. We shall find out. Yeah. I wonder how many horror movies have scenes of people unpacking boxes. It's so stressful. Too to many of them. Too <laughs> many of them. But I kind of like this this scene, actually. The banter works. Yeah. And that, this, these are the these these are the delivery people that I was telling you earlier in the Leviathan documentary that they have like better interview these guys too. This is like going to lead up to something that can only happen in a horror movie, where somebody would get cut and bleed an ocean of blood. The best jacket ever in any movie. Here we cut to Christy. Walking along, being Christy, and yeah. she is in her full eighties regalia. She's almost got winkle pickers, uh, kind of little pointy black boots, bag too baggy of pants, 
um, what could possibly be a pirate shirt. Like, this could be the beginning of a Madonna video. Yeah, it very well could be. Papa Don't Preach. It's, it's probably filmed in the same pier that Papa Don't Preach was filmed. Um, although Madonna's jacket in that video looked a lot better than this baggy brown piece of garbage. I had one just like that. <laughs> I was like, wait, let me dunk on this jacket. No, yeah. but you're right. It's Elasticized leather. Yeah. Does no one any favors. Yeah. Because it's like, you almost, by what, by what it looks like it's made out of, it looks like it's, if you want it to be cool and a fitter, it could be a bomber jacket, but it doesn't. It's just this giant jacket with that looks like it's not, good lord. It's the wearable version of a hobo bag, but it matches her hair. She does have fantastic hair. Yeah, this is how, uh, this is how, don't toss beer like that. Now they have to wait like five minutes before they can open it. They have a fucking moving job to complete before they open it. Oh, that's a good point. But, like, you maybe a little sit before you go up the stairs. Yeah. That would be nice. I think... I feel as though, like, the uh, the relationship that they have with this character um, is so fucking creepy. Like, there's no one that's not leering at her. Pretty much. <laughs> Always more photos. I think that, like, you have, like, moments where... Good lord. Have you ever seen pipes fuck up like that? Only in horror movies. And it should have been spraying black goo all over her. Actually. Actually, if it was if it was a horror movie, for sure, it should definitely have been, like, black tar. Flashback sequence. Yeah, no, it wasn't apparent that it's a flashback. I no. mean, we go from Christy having problems with the pipes to the reasoning behind Julia being um, so into these photos and that she found upstairs. Do you think that they they started the affair like seriously on her wedding day? That's what we're led to believe. That's- that he's that magnetic of a man. Do you find him uh, that attractive? No, not really. Me, I, I mean, I suppose some people would find that attractive, obviously, but no. But then I don't find I'm, many anyone in this an actually attractive person. Okay, except Christy. Okay, so beautiful. yes, I'm going to 100% agree with you. For a, a movie about sex, I find myself not necessarily attracted to anyone. But the thing that's interesting about this, Christy is, uh, she's college age in this, right? Like she's, mm-hmm. everyone else is like a full on late in life adult like, you know, everyone's got to be, like, in their 40s, fit, almost encroaching on 50s minimum. Yeah. So this, like, this is what makes this seem so much more like a giallo to me. Where, like, everyone's just kind of older. Yeah. Um, and they're not playing younger either. They're literally no. as old as they look. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And there's something about this room. This would, would have been the room where she had originally... Sin the big sin on Frank's dick. <laughs> well, she did. She did. If you're biblical and such, it is a sin, right? There is a lot of religious iconography that's in the house. And yeah. um, 
Julia really looks at it with contempt. And it's mocking her in a way because she has broken her vow. Or it's that she delighted in the same thing that Frank is with the blasphemy being part of what blows his hair back. And and eating her chin, apparently. Eating her chin, and it looks like their first kiss, before it was a kiss, he just jammed his index finger in her mouth. Mm -hmm. Listen, I'm not here to yuck any yums, but I definitely feel... Uh, but the, you know what the, that's actually kind of sexy about that? He's reading her like a book. She's totally into it. So She's I guess pretty easy to read. Yeah. You read the Wasp Manual? <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is why Fifty Shades of Grey became so popular. Exactly. It's just weird mommy porn where it's... Because even this... Um, I'm sh- I mean, I don't... I wouldn't... I've never asked someone from the BDSM community what they think about this... But even all the stuff that they're doing seems very um, vanilla. Very, 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 very vanilla. And the one thing that it has going for it as far as what the modern day BDSM community would have to say about it is that it is safe, sane, and consensual. It doesn't matter how she feels about having broken her marital vows or or whatever, or potentially breaking her marital vows, um, and who he is in particular. Oh, man. It's... You know, it is not kinky. It's not kinky, really. Yeah. But there is a subset of people who, you know, having a photo of a family member in the room while they're doing the sex is is kinky, right? So Yeah. And she's, like, having sex with her husband's brother on her wedding dress. Yeah. Like... Or maybe it was her wedding negligee, because it looks like a little... I don't know. I I don't remember now (laughs) if it is the actual dress or if it's the... The undergarments. Yeah. And and this is like... Good Lord. And this is like one of those scenarios where... Where... Um, she... I lost my train of thought because I just got... Full frontal right. penis? No. She got... Uh, she's getting so hot from the memories. She's just remembering all this stuff that happened a while ago. And she's heaving. Tell me, do you have any tattoos, Brad? <laughs> that is so funny. It's the sort of thing that Brad and Janet would have got titillated over, too. It's oh, true. yeah. Like, All the blood, you're right. Like, the, like the, the amount. And it's interesting. It's like right when she has an orgasm or someone has an orgasm is when in the narrative, Larry cuts his hand and... And he cuts it so badly. Again, bridging that line of pleasure and pain. But holy fuck. Like, oh, it's quite the gash. He's like, got his hand wide open. Like, wide open. He's bleeding like a fire hose. More than anyone would from a cut like that. But maybe just enough to get someone back from beyond? Would they not notice that all that blood just seeped in the floor? I don't know. Like, Larry's fucking, like, almost losing his entire consciousness. This is a lovely little scene. A lovely, almost Edgar Allan Poe heart under the floorboards sort of thing. Lovely stuff. Well, this telltale heart doesn't just beat soft in a grave. Um, It's beaten. (laughs) This, This entire sequence, as we're leading up to is the I remember so distinctly the first time I saw it 
because I could not believe what they accomplished with this. Yeah, it is the standout set piece until the end um, of of gore, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And the recreation goes on quite a long time. So you have a lot of eye candy here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every time I watch it, I, I think, have they remastered this? Have they fixed this up? Is it just as wonderful as I remember? Or is it just that like the poor quality of televisions, everything looks so dark? Mm-hmm. Like, And did the darkness add or detract from this? Like, It just looks better and better every time I watch it, no matter what. So what we're seeing here, for those of you at home, is we are seeing that that thirsty, thirsty floor yeah. has sucked up a bunch of blood, and underneath it was... You could almost say in a in a larval stage was uh, a beating heart, and now we're basically seeing a person reforming from gore. Yeah, like, like how how was this fucking done? Painstakingly slowly. Like you, like you can tell that there's shots in reverse. They are dealing with animatronics. There's puppetry here. There's uses of wax. There's um, yep. all sorts of very wonderful techniques, and they don't rely on just one, that's for sure. No. And I remember when I was watching this sequence, just without exaggeration, my fucking jaw was just open. I just couldn't believe it. And it's not just like a, a figurative, oh, there's like someone rising from the murk. Yeah. so to speak, in shadow, and we're supposing that it's a man recreating himself. We have uh, a cerebral cortex here, fingers quite obviously coming from hands and arm bones, mm-hmm. uh, a brain quite obviously uh, attached to optic nerves that become eyes, ribs very recognizable, even when there's only a few to the point that there is an entire rib cage, nothing but recognizable as human. And then that scream of agony Mm-hmm. That no doubt you would feel once a nervous system became integrated. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why did I get nerves first and not skin? <laughs> <laughs> not a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're having this like family dinner. Oh my God. Which is reminiscent in a way of like family dinners in Beetlejuice. Yeah. There's something. There, it is that, but there's also a weird um, intimacy to it. Like, it seems small. It all, this movie, and I don't know if it's budget or not, but it always, to me, makes it seem like everyone is supposed to seem richer than they actually are. Mm-hmm. It definitely seems as though they're not all that wealthy, but I feel as though the film is trying to project wealth. Or perhaps they're just lower income people trying to project wealth because everything like Amityville yes like everything's just so small the table's so small everyone's so tight together and the lighting it's so dark in this room (laughs) no and like you get the feeling of real wealth from something like Father's Day in the creep show yes because of the ornate nature of that vaulted and the way that they're behaving and they're going to meet aunt bedelia and what she's driving and or what their her sister's driving Mm -hmm. um and all that it's very well telegraphed that these people are very 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 rich and here it's hard to tell because they don't like pull out a pocketbook and let us know what they make per year or things like that and they're remodeling a house so they could be Mm-hmm. You know, 
um, just do doing well because of luck. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to tell. I think that we owe a lot of our suppositions about their level of wealth to Julia and the way yeah. she behaves. She, uh, J- Julia, um, Claire Hagen's character in this film really projects waspy, well-to-do, Puritan. I think she married Dan. And like, because Larry drinks beer. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. I would... <laughs> Like a commoner. I, I don't know if she married down, but she definitely seems like somebody who married someone who was probably mid, mid-level management at mm-hmm. some firm or, you know, architect or whatever, quote-unquote, business. And... One second. Those shoes are fantastic. Yes. And? And, and, and then... I think it's the opposite. I think she married way up and is passing. I see. Okay. And that would explain her demeanor and also her proclivity to the dark side. Yes. And, and yeah. And, and just this idea of, of, of wanting to, you know, she's not thrilled about being in this fixer upper. She would obviously want a ready-made house, but God, that sequence is genuinely fucking terrifying. Could you imagine something more hideous than like a skinless dude just like crawling to you no and i also can't imagine why no one else in the whole house can hear this going on they didn't hear him (laughs) scream in agony during his birth sequence which is what it is and what is going on upstairs well they're too they're too busy having jaunty laughs about waspy things (laughs) my word the dishes don't match the candlesticks can you imagine how bohemian of you (laughs) That's their dinner conversation. Yeah, that sounds exactly. Your candlesticks match your mantle clock. Oh, that one it should be. See, that shows you how much of a dirtbag I am. I, just don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know exactly. All I know is that my grandmother's mantle clock matched her candlesticks. Holy smokes. Yeah, it was a cassette, which is weird to me because I'm like a clock and candlesticks. <laughs> that goes together in my mind. My candlesticks are bats. Ah, that's proper. Yes, I feel that's my fun. I think it would have gone a lot better in this house. That's one thing that they're missing in this house. Because they've got all the mold and cobwebs. They need some bats as decor. It's that time of year where we get to decorate our houses properly. That's true. See, like, like, like it's, it's made even better with the I think they on. even have see-through plastic candlesticks, which is avant-garde for oh, the time. Man. Oh, she was almost wearing a pirate shirt. She is true. She is uh, just has this actress has never been drunk in her life. <laughs> yeah, Christie's acting tipsy is um, like Bambi, like baby Bambi. On, yeah, nice. And also, uh, the direction seems like can you act drunk and also a little horny? I guess. Yeah. Because there's just but something. Does she have a choice if she's eighteen? Well, maybe. Maybe. It's interesting that. Like once we find or she finds out that it's it's old Frank mm-hmm. back from the dead, looking like absolute uh, dog shit. Julia is just falling right back into their relationship. Yeah, no. If if the promise is that he will be returned to her mm-hmm. in his former form, mm-hmm. then 
you immediately think that she's just going to grab Christy by the throat and drag her up there yeah, for Frank to feed on. Especially right? with the way that she's lit. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Some really nice Vincent Price lighting going on there. Yeah. She looks like like a, every villain in a Disney movie at the very beginning. Yeah. And just like, nah. Cruella DeVille. Yeah, exactly. Or Maleficent. Yeah. She's a very Maleficent type character here as far as evil step woman. Yeah. But she does, she, yeah, and she is an evil stepmom. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Clive? <laughs> well, I mean, considering he hadn't come out at this point, right? So I think everyone is projecting a lot of uh, straight male sexuality on this, not understanding where it's really coming from. Man, as far as his yeah, own. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Which makes so much more sense. Now, this guy. <laughs> It looks like uh, Stephen King's old uh, photos from back in the 70s. You're really hinging on that one that uh, it was in his college newspaper. He does look like a psychopathic hobo hippie killer. It looks like one of the Manson family rejects in that photo. He really does. And this old guy definitely does. What is it with the hobo magics? I don't know. Like, also, since you drew attention to how... Um, uh, Kirstie's uh, or is dressed. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the now the addition of the hat, a sparkly black fedora. Yeah, uh, whereas like she really the leather jacket plus the dress plus the boots plus the hat. She really just looks like her closet ill-fittingly was thrown on top of her. Yeah, yeah, or someone else's closet more accurately. That is Cindy Lauper's closet. It would need more colors, but yeah, yeah, yeah. very Cindy Lauper, Madonna inspired look going on. It does not fit this girl. That is a woman that is disappointed with her choices in life. (laughs) Like just like, like, like lying there, like awake while her boring husband is asleep while she thinks about all the cool sex she used to have. (laughs) For how long did that affair go on? It's not clear. Like it, it would seem to me they might have banged a couple times, but like it really stuck in her head. The mm. poor woman. It's the it's there is that um, level of excitement, that level of connection that she's not getting through her uh, husband, and despite the type of person that Frank is, who is a person that will use her for his own purposes there is something that she is drawn to and i think it is that element of um of domination that she because there's there's no other context for it right in a way like i really thought that a lot of it was what had to do with and maybe it was my own personal curiosity about death dying the deceased and cadavers and things like that when i first watched this i was like she, it's more of an experiment in her mind. Like, how far can I take this? Will he really come back? Am I crazy and hallucinating this? Not as much as I need him back to have sex with. But I guess I just tuned out a lot of her laying in bed imagining. I've known uh, people in my life, women, who have not been able to get an ex out of their head. And it seems purely sexual. Really? Yeah, where they just can't... And every other relationship that they've had since is is compared to that. And and so it's it's almost like the the like it's almost like you could see that Julia is in a way like Frank and he was always chasing 
this ultimate high, this ultimate bliss, and what, however, in relation to the flesh, in yeah. relation to the flesh, and I feel as though she is akin to that. I mean, we will see her mm-hmm. in the sequel uh, transform to what uh, she would be, right? So, I like, oh, Christy and Buddy sleep in separate beds. That's adorable, isn't it? Especially since like they um, were making out pretty good and she seems super into him. Yeah, like, she is super into him and he's like, you know, funny and, and neat and everything that her uncle Larry is slash isn't. I don't know. I think that if you were to have all of these characters with hypersexualities, I mean, she if anything, I feel as though Chrissy's uh, uh, more like her father. Mm-hmm. Bit like who, who and seen- I keep saying the whole uncle thing from the book. That's just a whole leftover from them not being actual blood, like their their um, blood relations, r- r- but r- not right. father and daughter. And I keep my brain keeps going there. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's right. totally that's totally fine. But uh, like her, he seems way more vanilla and probably has a, a pretty more a, a much more uh, muted sex drive. And even though I wouldn't say that. You know, um, Frank is particularly wild. I mean, I, I think like the most wild thing Larry might do is have sex with the lights on once in a while. Exactly. So, and and it's just not working for for uh, Julia. But yeah, and this is the building of this plot of this movie where we now know that Julia is going to essentially become. Of uh, uh, an uh, Uber Eats driver, and and bring food to Frank, who needs blood to continue regeneration. This fantastic look she's got going on here. Oh these gigantic plastic, shiny black star earrings, dark, really cool looking glasses, Ray Bans likely. Yeah. Uh, this mustard color, this ochre colored shirt under a black jacket with very wide shoulders. It's what a fucking look. And she looks so fantastic and so new wave. Yeah. Yet conservative, hyper conservative new wave. It's oh, yeah. such a look. And it is despite the orca or like the ochre yellow mustard kind of shirt very corp goth oh yeah especially particularly like look at that silhouette with more shoulder pads than human she's davanian for fuck's sakes (laughs) yeah no seriously yeah and doing this sort of like on on like paul bernardo thing going out and scooping up the opposite sex and taking them home for their demise like yeah and, and baiting them with sex. I mean, of course, Paul Bernardo had a whole different thing going on. Yeah, he had a whole sick yeah different bastard. different thing. But like, or she's just as sick, although it isn't necessarily sexual with these particular men. Yeah, it's um, it really uh, it really is an interesting dynamic. And she's having some second thoughts here, but I thought. If it's like this would be your first kill, yeah, so to speak, right? So, so this is the first, and she's like not necessarily cheated on her husband before outside of in her own marital bed with his brother, which is insane. But she's never genuinely cheated on, she's never, it's not about the thrill of the hunt, it's not about getting away with it for her. Um, I guess, would you say that she just loves Frank? Love obsessed with frank yeah, it's, it's an obsession and it's an addiction mm-hmm. my and and i think that the the addiction to pleasure she would uh she would be just as content with anything that could give her that high but as far as she knows frank can give her that high that's mm-hmm. how i kind of read this scenario 
Um, yeah. This dude gets like super aggressive for five seconds and then he's all happy again. But because um, he thinks he's going to back out, he's like, you're not going to change your fucking mind, are you? She's still just so proper and straight-laced and conservative through all this. I do really enjoy that. Yeah, just perfect posture. She, it's like, and again, it, it really is this reflection on what was in vogue. I mean, my God, those star earrings. Like, Oh, and I thought they were black plastic. They're tortoise shell. Oh, what a statement piece between the way that her orangish burnt umber brownish eyeshadow uh-huh. matches with her shirt. The only thing ruining it all here is the red lips, but eh, I guess you need your pow. <laughs> Pretty soon he's going to get a pow too, this poor fella. <laughs> so this is like, this is the slower, more flirty kill. Yeah. The other ones are a lot more slasher in nature, I find. And a lot more quick because she starts to get uh, efficient. Yeah, man, there's nothing cool about taking off your pants and just like the dorkiest tidy whities being there. I mean, I guess that's just real life to an investment banker or whatever the <laughs> hell this guy is. Yeah, you probably are, are right. Investment banker. That seems exactly what he is. Mid-level insurance guy. Hammer salesman. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yep, she did a really good number on him. And here's another example of some really fantastic gore effects that look very, very realistic. Oh, yeah. Lingered on to a point of letting us drink in, no pun intended, what's going on here with the amount of blood coming from this poor guy's face. But they're not uh, showing off, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Pretty understated for such a, an effective, realistic effect. Yeah. Tortoise shell. What wonderful earrings. I cannot get over those. Yeah. I love uh, l- l- the the blood put on her face just so, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's effective. So now we have maybe not the best look of Frank, because it definitely looks like a kid in a in a rubber suit. Mm-hmm. Unlike the rest of Frank, who's, who's rivaled the very best crypt keeper we've ever seen. Yeah. In looks and the, the mobility of the face and the prosthetics. Um but now Frank is feeding on the investment banker. Yeah, and 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 we get to see almost something that we don't normally see. It's the killer has just uh, murdered somebody, and now they're going to wash up their their uh, in the sink while changing out of their bloody clothes. This is typically a scene that we see only uh, male characters in uh, in our grittier films. No, and when it's females, though, there is a distinct. Um um, feeling to be had with the realization of what they've done in the, the washing up, the out damn mm. spot and mm. can't get the blood off my Ooh. hands feeling. And I like that reference. That's a good well, one. Yeah. You got a deep cut with somebody with such a fantastic look as this and as British as she is. Yeah. <laughs> is he looking much better to you? He definitely doesn't look like a baby man, but he's still looking gooey. Pretty gooey is right, but... He has more veins. Go he definitely on. has more veins. Do you think he... He doesn't seem like he's in pain. Do you think he's still in pain? He should be. Yeah. He looks like he should be in a world of pain. No skin? Yikes. Yeah. Could you imagine just like throwing a big ass thing of salt on him? Like a slug. 
Oh, that would be so funny. And you just scream and shrivel up. Oh, that would be horrible. You're a mean man, Wes. <laughs> Come to daddy. Ugh. There was one part where he is yelling at Christy with the come to daddy. And it always strikes me as unintentionally hilarious because he sounds very ridiculous. Um, Cause he's sort of manic at the moment. And he says, come to daddy. And it makes me fucking laugh so hard. Every time it sounds very goony. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh, that dead body. Did you forget about that? Yeah. With his stretched out mouth, he looks like he just uh, watched the ring tape and it's been seven days later. Yeah, it does actually. Um, (laughs) There's something so funny about the way that Larry is depicted in this film as just a dude. And we'll see it just get progressively worse, but just a guy that has no fucking idea what's going on in his own house, you know, and just so sweet, so innocent, so unobservant, however you want to look at it. So unobservant, probably half deaf because these old houses do echo so fucking Mm -hmm. much. You can hear everything going on in the whole building. I know you can, but it seems that no one can hear what anyone else is doing a floor above or in the next room. He doesn't know his wife very well. She sounds out of sorts. Yeah, but he's definitely the type of guy that if if uh, he hears crying in the bathroom and he'll ask if she's okay, and if she says, I'm fine one time, he'll be like, oh. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot to say about the empowerment of women taking hold at this time and and forevermore because if, if your wife needs her own space and privacy and tells you she's fine and to basically go away, you just do it. Mm-hmm. And it's not about avoiding a fight. It's that she has the right to the space, much like in the 50s. The roles would be definitely reversed here with the wife on the outside of the door saying, Are you, is everything okay? And believing them despite how they sound. Oh. My nerves are beginning to work again. Pretty soon the screaming will start, and I won't stop until I have skin. He looks pretty good. Yeah, he does look pretty good. I mean, good lord, the makeup uh, on this guy is incredible. The amount of KY jelly they were going through here, and glycerin works really well too, as far as something that looks wet and stays semi dry, but doesn't, like, takes a long time to dry. Mm hmm. This is kind of managing, like managing a weird affair, except now instead of just with his brother, she's also having an affair with her brother who's also, you know, inside out man. Inside out man is super slimy. Like this is one thing for somebody to be getting lipstick off their collar. It's another thing entirely when the person is coated in gore. She must just get, basically, it's like butchering a cow every time she walks in there. Mm -hmm. Must stink. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned stink since that's your favorite. Yeah, imagining what that room smells like. That's one thing about, like, ugh. There's one thing about uh, when she was bringing that uh, investment banker, which we've we've uh, confirmed that's what he is. <laughs> All but confirmed. Um, into that room, and he, he's like, there's no bed in here. I'm like, bed? That's what you're fucking worried about? That room is dilapidated. Like, it looks like it, part of it was on fire. It looks like part of it was on fire, and it looks absolutely like it's been squatted in by bums. It probably smells exactly like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, here's our bum. 
a hobo bum, I guess. Does mm-hmm. he work here? No. He's just hobo bum. Hobo magic. Yeah. He's a man that knows something. Mm-hmm. Every horror movie needs someone that knows something. And also doesn't wash his face. No, I don't think he's ever washed his face. And he's this is his sustenance on the streets. Yummy grasshoppers. Yeah. He's like, give those back. Like, lots of people eat bugs. That's not very weird. It's true. It's like, get out get out more, Kirsty. Like, you know. There's a thing at work where they're asking us what's the most exotic thing that they've eaten. Um, and on Monday, there's going to be like a, a group thing where people, they're talking about the most exotic thing that they've eaten. And I wonder if anyone will say bugs like uh, this. I, I might go with bear heart. A bear heart. Bear heart. Yeah. You've had uh, you've had uh, alligator jerky. I've had alligator and alligator jerky. I've had alligator about three times. It's not, but I don't know. It depends on where you're from, right? Like I'm thinking maybe bear heart's not that weird to some people, but I'm hoping there's some Filipino people that have eaten balut. <laughs> but crickets and stuff like that. Scorpions. You can get scorp- candy scorpion on a stick. You can, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that like counts as exotic when you can go to the corner store and buy it. She's really got a thing for the men with thinning hair, huh? Yeah, and dudes who like to to walk into a place uh, pretty confident and cocky. Is this what dudes look like when they're about to get laid? Guess so. <laughs> oh, you mean with a giant hammer wound in their forehead? <laughs> this guy, <laughs> this guy doesn't know how to play dead because he definitely was had like cross eyes there for a second. Kind of cartoonish. Yeah. Hardly noticeable, though, because this one happens so fast. This is where Julia's full confidence, right? And her, yeah. her killing I, abilities have been honed. I feel like her hair is getting bigger with every kill. <laughs> that is exactly what's happening. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she doesn't have anything else to puff up, you know? <clears throat> Women don't really puff up their chests. I suppose they puff up their hair. They did in the 80s. I puff up their shoulders. Maybe her shoulders get wider and wider as we go. They're like, what would Ronald Reagan do? Puff up his hair. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, I guess his lungs are working now. His lungs are working. And also he feels the need to wear a shirt, even though you wear that shirt for like two seconds and it's ruined. It's one of my favorite things about Frank, actually. That he wears like a very wet shirt all the time? Yeah, because he has no real choice, but it's a, it's like skin. It works like skin. It's doing the same job as skin. Mm-hmm. It's A draft must, must feel like hell to him right now. Or being Frank, like, wonderful, since he would dig that, I guess, mm-hmm. considering what we're supposed to think of Frank. As far as him being a pain slut. Ah, that's pretty, huh? Yeah. The lament configuration. I mean, this is why I enjoy... Like, Doug Bradley is in another um, film series. And he's in, like, all of these. But in number five is Bloodlines. He's also in part five of Wrong Turn, which is also Bloodlines. And I always found that to be an uncanny coincidence. That is pretty funny. It is. But, I mean, the the lament configuration and it's that story in Bloodlines, I really enjoy so much. And the Lemachan box is the, the real star of the show. Yes. In this explanation about where he's been, about what the 
the the puzzle boxes. We keep saying stuff like lament configuration and shit like that. For for those who don't know, that puzzle box, the box that that, that everyone sees Pinhead and shit like that carry, that opens doors according to Frank and to the pleasures of heaven or hell. He doesn't care which. And the thing that I find very fascinating is the fact that um is the fact that when we're looking at all the Cenobites who effectively haunt this movie until the very end, we see them in equal measure. You wouldn't say that Pinhead had any more screen time there than mm-hmm. anybody else did. It just showed all of the different Cenobites kind of wandering around. Mm-hmm. Um, could you imagine something more obnoxious than a dude watching boxing while his fists are up and he's like... That is pretty obnoxious. I don't know. Um, you, you can see on the, the video that uh, Andy had shot when we went to see Blair Witch of mm-hmm. the guy who had his hands up and was like jumping and reacting to all the jump scares and actually putting his hands up in front of him. So maybe that's the same sort of thing is that he's protecting himself. But I, I like that line that he throws out to Julia like, hey, I thought this boxing stuff made you sick. And she says, huh, I've seen worse. All nonchalant. He doesn't question it. Not like, what's come over you? Or yeah. what have you seen that's worse? Because you're my wasp wife that sits in the house all day and runs errands and plays tennis or whatever the hell you do. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean you've seen, wor- you've, you've seen worse? Not by his watch, he, she hasn't. Yeah. I mean, this is poor Larry here who, like, you know, is wearing a Cosby sweater and just was watching boxing. He's probably feeling pretty manly right now. He probably is if he was watching boxing and he might have had a half a beer there. <laughs> and now that his his wife is is gone all caddy on him. I like this where she she doesn't make a real effort. Like she does make an effort in in making out with him mm-hmm. and an effort saying we'll look at it later, don't worry about it. Don't go up there. Mm-hmm. And then she just sort of like lets him well, I, I suppose the question comes, it becomes increasingly suspicious why he wouldn't. If she would have made a proper excuse or grabbed his penis, they wouldn't be upstairs right now. People can get a lot with, uh, that they want out of me by grabbing my dick. <laughs> it works almost every time. It works 100% of the time. Well... This I liked very much. I think this would be the sort of thing that the PETA activists would dislike about this. Um, But it also plays into my complaints of wouldn't people hear the noise? Wouldn't people have heard Frank doing what? Like, why is he bored? Is that why he's nailing rats to the wall? There was rats nailed to the wall, if you're not watching. Yeah, um, I think because he's screaming and pounding the walls and i think i don't know if it's because he's in pain or if he is jealous of the fact that she's sitting downstairs watching television with this person when he believes that she belongs to him or his skin and uh nerve endings are finally reacting in a bad way yeah there's a lot of different explanations that you could possibly have it's this weird idea where I mean, if I was thinking about this from Frank's perspective, he would both hate the fact that Larry is with her, but also, you know, find it ridiculous because he knows that 
Larry can't give her what she needs and only he knows what he needs and only he has uh, control over her. And this seems to be Larry uh, like arresting that control. And so he's basically saying, just so you know, I could kill her anytime I want. Again, it's all about just this constant thing of control <laughs> and killing rats, I guess. Yeah. Cutting her rats right in half in front of, at, at the foot of her bed while she's making out with her husband. Like just, and yeah. that he cannot hear that there's someone else in the room yeah. or sense this. Well, there was there's thunder and lightning. Oh, sure. And the Shawshank Redemption uh, caught, taught us that thunder and lightning cover block, everything. Yeah. Cover everything. And so in Amityville, same thing too. Yeah. One oh. minute you're running hot, one minute you're running cold. I don't know which way you're going, Dame. Ah. It's like, boy, howdy! I don't understand this. It's like my dick was hot, and and now all of a sudden you're telling me that no one's going to be touching my dick. Poor Larry. Poor Larry, indeed. Well, we've got a dog visitor, and I'm not going to edit out. It depends on how well behaved they are. (laughs) It's fine. I like that he's taking his uh, daughter out on fun little daddy-daughter Chinese restaurant visits. Well, he probably misses this since they are um, like they're empty empty nesters now, right? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so every once in a while he's got to scoop his daughter. If she's too well off to bring her like laundry home and garbage like that, he probably doesn't see enough of her. Probably not. It's very sweet. It's very sweet, and they chose a nice place too. I like a good Chinese place with good decor. <laughs> there's um it's funny because they really do sp- he is trying to speak to her on the level of an adult as opposed to a demanding father Larry's a good dude yeah he can't help that he's he can't help that he's of the little vanilla wafer cookie he can't help it no he can't at all and I do enjoy the choice of that uh, Chinese restaurant reminds me of where Frank got the lament configuration and we have that sort of uh, um, Chinese slash Grecian design mm-hmm. of that key and lock design going around the table behind Kirstie and Larry oh it seems Kirstie's noticing that her evil stepmother is banging dudes on the sly. It's true. You know how also like like if this movie was made now, they would have they would have at least had her like in some kind of like fucking super nice car driving around or some shit. At least driving onto the place. We only ever see people walking everywhere around here. Like no one has a car. Hey, it looks like our mayor. <laughs> it does. Like guy smiley. Um Notice that Julia's uh, clothing has darkened throughout. Um, yeah. She's not wearing those jaunty mustards anymore. No. It's a charcoal under black. And yeah. her hair even looks darker. The hues of Burnett are out of her hair. Oh. And it's looking darker. Her lipstick is a shade darker. A little less blue in that red. Yeah. God, he does look like Mayor Watson. Yeah, he really Holy does. Shit. He really does. Looks a lot like Mayor Watson. Take a look at the mayor of Ottawa City, Ontario, Canada, if you're listening at home, and you'll see what the uh, what third victim looks like here. I also like that 
when you get hit on the head with a hammer, they don't instantly die. No, right? There was a guy uh, terrorizing women in Hintenburg in Little Italy here in Ottawa several years ago that was hitting people with a hammer. And he didn't kill anybody. And there was very few people that he hit more than once. Mm -hmm. But most people, he'd walk up behind and hit in the head with a hammer very hard. Mm -hmm. A few people got fractured from what I recall. But, like, by and large, it didn't kill them. Yeah. It didn't hurt them. The human skull is uh, pretty good. Pretty good, but a hammer is pretty... Especially if it's a recoilless hammer, it's not going to bounce off you. It's going to try and drive through you. Mm. You know anything? You know more than most people about the kinetics of uh, physical motion and yeah. hitting to stop. Yeah. A, a recoilless hammer is something to be reckoned with. That's true. This is the part where we get an idea about how Frank actually goes about doing this. Because beforehand, beforehand like we don't really know. He's got a finger straws. <laughs> It seems like finger straws, yeah, like a gum chapor or not a gum chapor. The thing that the the um, oh, what are the the witches from Dune? Oh, uh, I can't remember. But they yes, have those things—the <laughs> same sort of thing that Lestat has when they go to the opera. <laughs> One of the ends of his fingers there, but yeah, Frank has finger straws. No doubt he uses whatever orifice he can to shove blood into, but... Yeah, um, he's like some weird gooey sponge. He is a gooey sponge. And I mean, just by osmosis, you'd probably just want to smear blood on that for relief. It's like calamine lotion to sunburn. Yeah. And Kirsty's home now, so not only did she notice Julia bring a man into the house, she's gone upstairs and is now face-to-face with the half-soul-sucked, dripping blood cadaver of Mara Watson. Yeah, it's fucked up. Could you imagine trying to process exactly what you're looking at here? But I mean, as if that's supposed to help. Oh, it's Uncle... Come to Daddy. The way he says it here is just absolutely ridiculous. So now he's going to try and bang his um, niece. Yeah. Which I, I can't imagine uh, is is like a limit for old Frank. He doesn't seem like a dude that has many. No, he certainly doesn't. Especially, you know, she is a very beautiful woman. So yeah. I can understand him being of loose moral to begin with. But, you know, you take the skinlessness out of this. It's a V.C. Andrews story. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, chicks banging their husband's brothers and how that husband's brother trying to bang the niece and then... In the next one, it'll be his kids and her kids start banging. And then it's a fucking V.C. Andrews story. It's pedals yeah. in the wind. But the skinlessness adds a nice element. Yeah. Ah. So Christy has stumbled upon sloppy old Frank's La Marchand box. <laughs> who would just leave that sitting around? I guess someone who just assumes that the only person that's ever going to go into this room is Julia because it's like the only unrenovated room left in the house, it appears. Um, Although she literally has no idea what the fuck it is. No, but it it gets the right reaction. You know, Mm -hmm. as soon as you touch something, if somebody's like, oh, my God, don't touch that, put that down. (laughs) You want to know what it is. Mm -hmm. The way that he was behaving toward her. Uh, in se- on several levels, being a slimy cadaver and her uncle trying to mm-hmm. bang her, he deserved all that. Yeah. Or Ashley Lawrence in a daze here. Yeah. Um, 
Not unnoticeable either. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's got blood all over her shirt. She's walked past some nuns. The nuns, it's their job to stop someone like that, you know. Yeah. They really ought to be tithing right now. It's Uncle Frank. Uncle Frank. I'm always... Come to Roddy. <laughs> I'm never a fan of moments in films where, hey, hey, uh, Kirsty, do you remember this? Yeah, it literally just happened in the film. Like, why do we have to watch it again? No, and that's We're watching the Joe Hill story in Osferatu, and there's a lot of what just happened gets replayed for you, oh, I God. guess. To to not only remind you as the, the bonehead audience, um, oh, chrysanthemums blooming. Hmm. It's this red flower of death, a very stark oriental imagery going on there that doesn't really fit with this story. No. I enjoyed it visually, but it really is too abstract. But um, yeah, it was, as I was saying with the Nosferatu, um, it's to drive home that it was important to the character. We were there for it. We're yeah. pretty sure we realized it was important when it happened. Also, apparently that that flower blooming is what that nurse was watching on TV. <laughs> Still too abstract. Yeah. Is she? Is this because she touched the cube? Partially, I'd say she's just shaken because of what she saw. Oh, cube yeah. Cube or no cube. That's a good the point. The cube did electrify her, and here Richard Pryor is trying to put her back in the bed as quickly as possible. She's lightheaded and definitely needs a Lamarchon box and Thorazine. Mm-hmm. I wonder if when she was hit by that electricity, mentally, she's already attempting to bridge the gap between two worlds like the, it's this other world trying to basically break in on her partially i believe that it was more of a litmus test like a you know it took her stats her vital stats when it electrified her like that and it was like does she have the propensity to a become one with us destroy us does she want in for the right reasons should we let her in mm-hmm. because if she were you know a, a house cat Mm-hmm. It may know by doing that what it is and what you're capable of. Yeah. I mean, there there's something to be said about somebody who the Cenobites will take and then someone who's worthy to become a Cenobite themselves, mm-hmm. as we'll like, learn. In subsequent yeah. installations. Installations, yeah. But I do enjoy that now that it's, it's like it's different little spermy things coming out yeah. of the box. Little little pink spermy things that would be fun to see and, and mesmerizing. As mesmerizing as a puzzle can be to some people. I'm a puzzle solver. Yeah. My brother was. I never was really into puzzles. So I would always be safe from the Cenobites because I do not have the, <laughs> the patience to deal with that. You would be like, oh, how do I work this? How do I open this? Ooh. The thing is me looking at a La Marchand configuration. I would look at the, the box and, and be like, oh, that's a pretty gilt box. I wouldn't assume that it did anything. Yeah, me either, to be 100% honest with you. This um, this uh, this idea of opening doors, it's not a metaphor. This thing quite literally just opens doors. Yeah, it opened a, a slit in the concrete wall that parted and became mm-hmm. a door, yeah. which is, is crazy. And it sort of reminds me of the architecture here uh, as a dingy version of the mausoleums and phantasm yeah yeah i I definitely uh can see that 
much like Phantasm, there's going to be like a what the fuck moment. The one thing that I'll say, uh, and I know that we, we mentioned this earlier, but it's about this time in the film when this critter is going to be coming up. I, he's he looks like the banana, the two headed banana man, mm-hmm. um, where you really start asking yourself, well, hang on a second here. Where are the Cenobites? <laughs> <laughs> We've seen them uh, a couple of times. They've ha- they definitely haunt this movie, but really we're spending a lot of time with things other than that. And when you think that she's going to encounter a Cenobite instead, you encounter this fucked up thing, which to me is is the 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 special effects which seems the gooniest. It, yeah, it's it's right out of a basket case. Yeah, I mean you can even see the uh contraption that this that's pushing this thing forward behind it. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean it doesn't hold up the best and it definitely looks like a big robot. <laughs> no, and this is this is where watching it late at night being in your mid to early teens mm-hmm. um and the sound definitely mm-hmm. helps with the tension for this yeah. moment because yeah. watching it here without volume is even worse for it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But I mean, as you were saying that this you're waiting for the Cenobites, I I often marvel at uh other horror fans who revisit Hellraiser, having having watched it when they were younger and mm-hmm. forgetting it's not really about the Cenobites, or people who have watched later installations and have gotten used mm-hmm. to um, a more quippy, punny, and more far more present Pinhead in mm-hmm. particular, let alone Cenobites. Um, but I, you know, I always remembered it, of course, as as the story of Frank, and yes. it really is the story of Frank. It really is until right here because. This is what has solidified the majesty of Cenobites in our minds. Mm-hmm. Their grand entrance and what they do to our reality. Yes. Not unlike what um, Freddy Krueger does when he invades your dreams. Yeah, but, but like much like um, much like Freddy Krueger, it doesn't seem to like it seems that the Cenobites have no limits in power. Uh, there's your boy. There's my boy, Chatter. Like, and I just there was something about this character I absolutely loved. He looked so cool to me. Um, creepy as fuck. Uh, he just looked really cool. And the fingers in the mouth, my god. There we go. Hey man, it's Pinhead. Oh, Butterball, Butterball. which always just freaks me out. Like, there, totally. it's because he looks so bloated. You opened it. We came. Um, yeah. These are the, the the few lines that are probably what poor Doug Bradley is told to say every time people meet him at conventions. Everyone explores in the further regions of experience, demons and some angels. angels some. Like these Which are, I say, like these are these are the, some of the most iconic lines in horror history, and yeah. and it goes to show you every single bit of his and her dialogue has become memes, gifs, like images that you see all over the internet constantly. Oh my god. You know, that open throatedness. The one thing I really enjoy about each Cenobite, even mm-hmm. before we get these stories, there is a story to be told just by looking at them. Mm-hmm. In the books, how were were they described as they are here, or did the movie t- 
take it in a different direction. No, by and large, they are described as you see them here. And I, I think that the Scarlet Gospels, you could read the Scarlet Gospels, which is the most recent addition to the whole saga, mm-hmm. and see how he's allowed the film to play in. Um, but then you, you know, he wrote the screenplay. He wrote the screenplay entirely, so it stands part and parcel with the novel to, or the novella to my mind. I've read a very, like Chris had picked up this wonderful bit. I can't remember the name of the author right now, Michael, something I believe uh, written by, not by Clive Barker, but it's written as something in between Hellraiser and the Scarlet Gospels called The Toll that follows Christie after these films, after part two, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it is fantastic, fantastic where she goes and her relationship with Pinhead. Right now, it almost seems... Um, <laughs> He's making jokes about new skin. It's funny. Sorry. It, it seems... It seems almost pedestrian what they're worried about in terms of... she's Oh, she's going to tell the police or... She or they're gonna tell Larry, like <laughs> she, you know, you put skin on Frank right now, and it's the young and the restless. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. There's like Larry wins the award for dude that is literally going to die, not knowing what the fuck was going on in the movie that he was in. <laughs> Seems so, seems so. For him, it was a movie about how his wife suddenly liked boxing and not sex. Yeah. Very confusing for poor Larry. God. Like, this guy looks like, uh, you ever watch that that teen comedy Can't Buy Me Love? No. Uh, He looks like the guy that was the lead in that. He kind of looks like Howie Mandel in his old music videos and ah, shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. But he's got like an Art Attack look to him. Art Attack! That is exactly who he looks like. That Australian <laughs> man. Mm-hmm. Wearing too many colors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe this is like her having her uh, cake and eating it too because... Now she can have someone that is basically her husband, but has like the sexual appetites of. Uh, She's eating her cake and having it too, because oh, yeah. he has skin and can pass in the real world, regardless of whether it was Frank or Larry. Really, honestly, because she would have, you know, shacked up with either mm-hmm. look, either skin vehicle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she definitely does get to have the the sexual life that she had always wanted. It adds another different level to this having her be there or being uh, Larry's daughter. Mm -hmm. Because in the book, she's not. Right, right, right. But it adds a whole other... Like, that's probably where I'm getting all this flowers in the attic feel, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, at least he gets to look at himself now. Look at himself as somebody else. God. He's still experiencing some slippage. <laughs> some degloving, perhaps, would be very uh... yeah. So so gross, really. Yeah. Um, it's it's fun here, and at first she doesn't suspect there's anything off about her father. I mean, even though he's got like a very bloody, <laughs> like he looks very gross. Yeah. 
That being said, I mean, she's looks like she's had a, a rough night, and I, and immediately she's already had to contend with the fact that her uncle that they thought was gone or dead or whatever the fuck is not dead, and in fact is just alive with no skin. Uh, his stepmother killed somebody, or or Frank killed somebody. Then she got chased to a hospital in which she saw a monster come out of the wall, and then. Uh, like religious looking hell people showed up and and told her about the, the lament configuration and so she's kind of dealing with a lot right now now his, her dad is not using words even as far as we know larry yeah. he's not using words larry would use he's not sounding like larry he's not acting like fucking larry at all mm-hmm god it like I will say the juiciest part for um, uh, Andrew Robinson, who's playing Larry, is the fact that he basically gets to play two characters in one movie. Mm-hmm. Which is super fun for him, I'm sure. I'm sure like that kind of was the icing on the cake. Like When you first get this script, you're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm kind of the doofus husband that doesn't know anything. And then at the end of the movie, you kind of get to be the bad guy. I think that the icing on the cake was really for the guy that played Frank with skin on because all he had to do is be sweaty and like fake bang chicks. So that would have been a fun role too. But now this is a real testament to this guy's ability Mm because we buy it. I absolutely buy that he's not himself here Mm -hmm. and don't understand why his daughter doesn't. Yeah. It's like his ears are falling apart. His ears are falling apart. His hair is absolutely coated in gore. It's really disgusting. Yeah. It looks like there's a skin flap behind one of his ears. Mm-hmm. And I like that because of all that, when he does something that any human can do, pull their skin down at the bottom of their eyelid, we know that he's checking for the fit, <laughs> which is insane. Yeah. It's like, here, just going to show you something real quick. Yeah, they belonged in the room with, with, with what is actually her father's dead body. Yeah. And she's been led to believe it's Frank's. Yeah. Oh, man. This backlighting on these guys is so amazing. It truly is. And they're shown not in so much shadow as I had recalled. And this is why I always think they must have really amped up the exposure in some of these scenes. Because I always thought that Cenobites were colorless and in darkness and shadowed for the most part. They're really dark in other films. In other films where they're really trying to hide the budget. Yeah. Um, okay. th- there's almost scenes in, not three, three they still have, but like in Bloodlines On or like even like mm-hmm. f- like whatever the fifth one's called. That's Bloodlines. Oh. The fourth oh. is Pinhead in Space. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, they, they, it basically just seems like you're, they're in black rooms with hints of chains around. Mm-hmm. And when they're in those areas... I'm to daddy. He's like, and I am your daddy now. Except I'm not. I'm Frank in skin. But she absolutely gets it. She yeah. absolutely gets it. Because that's Frank's catchphrase. He just mm-hmm. keeps saying it. That's Frank's time. catchphrase and what the Cenobites had just said to her about the man who did this. Yeah. Ugh. Slippage is right. That skin isn't holding on right. Oh, my God. Like, could you imagine? 
how how crappy your skin would have to be. <laughs> but the switchblade, we just did the. Sometimes they come back. We should be all about the switchblades in the fifties and the doo wop. Maybe that's yeah. his jam. It is true though, but it is kind of like humiliating, in, in my opinion. This guy has like straw fingers, and he's just like, I got my cool switchblade. Oh shit. Quick thinking Christy has dodged the switchblade attack from her Uncle Frank, who's wearing her father's skin, and he's now inadvertently stabbed to death, Julia, and now yeah. using his straw fingers to suck all the life juices out of her neck. Sexy. Yeah. Sexy. Yeah. So this is like, there's when you look at it through the eyes of a quasi-asexual teen, it the sexuality of this is all kind of sucked out. No pun intended. And there's a few scenes of people being whores. And otherwise, it's she's faking using sex to bring men home. She's not having sex with her husband. Frank, up until this point, was too frail to have sex with. Yeah. But I think that, like, to me, it was it was her obsession with the pleasures of the flesh. Oh, like, I, I don't think for her... And Frank's obsession with the pleasures of the flesh that started this whole domino yeah so i don't think like like are people having like penetrative sex in the movie no uh not well they are sometimes but like not really it's not really the theme but it is Mm -hmm. the theme about the experiences that are housed within the body itself um not so much you know it's it's not so much like oh where can you take yourself mentally it's literally what can you do with your body if you have no limits I really enjoyed the scene that just just passed here where we don't get the hammer horror cat jumping out of the closet. We get a pop out Jesus in the box. <laughs> Jesus in the box. <laughs> and a I giant would, Jesus falling out of a closet. Yeah, and, and it really is presented as like this is the last thing I need right now, Jesus. Yeah. Where's my um and also uh, the implication of the Cenobites being angels to some, demons to others opens up a really interesting possibility that like religious iconography um is the rubbish and the only thing is the Cenobites. The idea that the only thing after death is the Cenobites mm-hmm. is what I find very interesting about this. Yeah, they come from that place where most people would call limbo and it's not just the you know unbaptized and suicides that go there it's mm-hmm. everybody yeah everybody goes there and holy shit oh yeah it's all julia's former lovers as we would say former um, lovers the room is full of fucking dead people maggots and, and by the way what does uh, 150 pounds of rotten human meat smell like? Not good. Like, Jesus Christ. And they're not to that point where they're desiccated and they don't smell anymore. Because no. that happens, sure. But that thing was a bag of maggots. It was a bag of maggots. It was literally a bag of maggots. Yeah. It's fucking disgusting. It would stink. It would stink. It would not be the room to go into. You wouldn't be able to go into that room without ratching or at least vomiting. Like and, and the and the master bedroom is upstairs. Mm-hmm. So you telling me that Larry was too busy watching boxing and drinking half a beer before he got too tuckered out? And to when there's a dead mouse in a house, you can smell it. Smell it on the walls. Yeah, you can smell it on the walls. Like, a few dead people upstairs. Not to mention the gore that's soaked. Like, you know, in part two, we get um, up close and personal with the mattress Julia died on. Yeah. And we get to see what gore-soaked really, really means. Yeah. But it would stink. Seriously. 
I was like, you got to stop folding your switchblade knife back uh, so people don't hear you when you're coming. Nah, he likes that look. That's fun. That's like the rattle, the rattlesnake. Oh, she's tripping over a dead dad's body. Yeah. That's that. Yeah, you hate to see that. That's the last of us. <laughs> no, and you know, and that's the thing. In your mind, Frank, yes, he's dead because he likes to drink beer and watch boxing. But that was the height of life for Larry. Yeah. But, I mean, Frank has come back from the dead with secret knowledge, right? Mm. That, like, he's had this... Uh, this well, The craziest thing about it is Frank came to this place where he got his ultimate experience, said he didn't care, but when he got there, he didn't want it. And that's why he wanted to leave mm-hmm. and escape. This I, I love this idea of essentially that her sanctuary lies in the Cenobites. Man, this chain sequence is so fucking cool. It always will be. And it's almost got like a um, Raimi-ish look to it. The way that they use yeah. the motion and the camera angle and things coming at the camera, which are just not traditionally used. I, mean- I, I really love that. Fuck man, like all like you know, we're watching we're watching like a cool 4K top notch version of this. These Cenobites look so fucking good. Like all of this holds up so well. Mm-hmm. Even the navigator or whatever you would call it, that creature yeah. in the in behind the wall. This isn't for your eyes, Christy. Yeah. See you, Christy. You get your one-way ticket to freedom. Take it. Run. Yeah. Go. Always, always like that, um, you know, the, the Cenobites really, in a, in a lot of ways, were are, well, I mean, in, the, in a very de- demonstrable way, are not the villains of this film. And I'll point out, they're not the villains in the next one either. No, they're really not. And they have rules that they follow, right? And they have mm-hmm. a, a higher morality than most of the traditional biblical God would, who mm-hmm. basically operates without any fucking rules and just does whatever he deems just or moral or Susan needs the time where these guys and girl have really, um, whether we know them or not strict rules that they must follow mm-hmm. uh, quite obviously. And they need other people to adhere oh. to these unspoken rules. Hence Frank getting torn apart. Yeah. It's absolutely fucking amazing. He seems to be into it now though. For a moment. That doesn't last because he gets pulled right apart like he had been before. Jesus wept. <laughs> That's probably the most quoted thing. <laughs> One of the most quoted things. Other, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I say, I say, uh, angels of some, demons to others. I say that a lot. Tear your soul apart. I say, do I yeah. look like someone who cares what God thinks? But that's not even from this movie. That's from one of the other ones. Her delivery of that line is so fucking good. The walls bleeding. Fuck, man. Yeah, the Cenobites can really uh, fuck up a property. <laughs> totally. Luckily, when they leave, it mostly goes back to normal. Yeah. I mean, technically speaking, nobody owns this house anymore. So I like this this look of Julia chained to the bed with the 
lament configuration in her death grip. Yeah. Kirstie having to pry it from her cold, dead hands, as it were. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful scene. And it's a wonderful setup for the sequel. You know, I never noticed that the female Cenobite had those wispy strands of hair before. No, I had never noticed either. The apparatus holding her throat open, definitely. Yes. But you would suspect that she's 100% bald. Yeah. She gives her a much more hag-like appearance. Yeah, it really, it really does. So Kirstie's going to send them back where they came from. And this is only because the the Cenobites, who, by the way, didn't necessarily promise that they were going to leave her alone. He said, "I want to hear his conven- his his confession myself. Then maybe, maybe." And they, so they they're not even like. Um, you know, they're still being lawful evil. Yeah, and they are, they they take one thing at a time. They need to deal with and decide what they need to do about Frank. And then they need a few moments to consider Kirsty, which yeah. they haven't really at this point. She's an interloper. <laughs> I like that her boyfriend that's, that's had like four scenes is just like BT dubs. Here I am to knock on the door. <laughs> Art attack. Doesn't he though? Like, look like he totally guy. looks like heart attack. <laughs> oh my god! Why the house is falling apart? We don't really understand, but it could have something to do with like the forty-five pounds of chains that have pulled out the load-bearing structures. And I also like like chatter is just like fucking with you at this point. I like the veil. I don't understand really. Eh, it's like when Michael Myers has the the ghost costume on. He's just fucking with you. Sort of. Yeah. Okay, that makes some sense. He's fucking with you a little bit. See you, buddy. See you next time. I love Chatter so much. Butterball is so interesting. He looks like the lead singer from VNV Nation to a certain, <laughs> a certain point. But I, I I find him the creepier of the Cenobites. You know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, uh, Simon Bamford, the dude that plays Butterball, so <laughs> small. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you, and you just kind of assume, like, oh, must, they must have gotten a, a big dude to play Butterball. No, nope, just a little guy. It's a little all log. that latex. Yeah. Yeah, like the, 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 the fattest fat suit ever, I suppose. Yeah. I like Butterball as a really interesting a character to be played in Scarlet Gospels. Mm. Mm. <laughs> the thing here's your buddy yeah and and again to to re-emphasize um to re-emphasize like you know pinhead's been gone for a bit like he wasn't even the first he was the first cenobite to get banished mm-hmm. and we're spending a lot more time you know with chatter and butterball and now the navigator um, uh, you know what I'm saying? So like, it was, it was just always weird to not weird because Pinhead definitely became the face of this franchise, particularly by the third one. It's just, it's basically just Pinhead for a while. Anyway, um, seems like this thing really wants that fucking box. Oh, it's the last, the last thing to go. This is the door, the door that was opened. Mm-hmm. It's the I, last moment it has to stay open. I like that her uh, boyfriend literally tries to to take the box from her and she just pulls it away from her. Because it's like, what are you going to do, buddy? You have literally no idea what's happening. Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't. He just got here. Yeah. He literally just got here. Yeah. And I doubt that he told. she told him much of what was going on. At home. No. Like, he just showed up. You fucking have no clue what's going on. You've never, you've ne- you haven't seen Frank. You don't know that her father's dead. You don't know that her stepmother's dead. You don't know who those Cenobites people were. You don't know who that was. Mm-hmm. You don't know anything. And you're gonna grab a box. 
He's like, I'll handle this. I'm like, sure you will. Yeah, grab a brush, art attack, and go sit in the corner. Pretty much. It's that multicolored shirt. That's like yes. aside from the look, because he does look like the guy from Art Attack. Is jean yeah. jacket over a multicolored shirt. Yes, got to be an art teacher from TVO. <laughs> it's like <laughs> he's like, don't worry. Oh my god, that shirt really pops in 4K. <laughs> it really does, unfortunately. <sighs> what a wonderful house! It reminds me so much of the Amityville house. Yes. Mm-hmm. The house and the house in this film has such personality, and it really is just this festering. I mean, there's so, it, and it really runs the gamut. Some rooms are filthy and rotting and disgusting and full of maggots, and others are so pristine that they host dinner parties in. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so wild to me. Just like the real world and like the the hell that we don't get to see, we only get a hint of the next movie. We'll get a better. Do you think that fucking thing would even burn? I guess. Oh, absolutely like, not. I mean, like, <laughs> but I mean, I guess the, the mattress didn't burn either, did it? Yeah, no. Like, how the hell? I mean, is this a dream sequence? Yeah. Or something? Is this like the end of Carrie? No, they're just like, they're just like, I. And here's this guy, like, coming up like like the old man at the end of Gremlins. Well, it's going to have to get back to the little shop in Singapore one way or another. Yeah. Or wherever that little shop is. I mean, it could just be in Chinatown. It could be. I guess. <laughs> I don't know how far Frank went for this box in the first place. It really, seemed like he, he was pretty far. Like, he, he definitely... He yeah. It, he definitely was, like, looking like the dude from Uncharted. Like, it's green pants. Thailand somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I always forget this sequence. This self-emoliation to return the box from whence it came or something. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. Yeah, and now it's Army of Darkness. Yeah, it's Army of Darkness. It's this fucking seventies album cover. It's it's like the the like the side of some stoner dude's van, just and takes us right back to where we had begun, full circle to what's your pleasure, sir? Yeah, I tell you what, his their pleasure is like two cockroaches on a table. Yum yum, cockroaches like Beetlejuice heats cockroaches. <laughs> to an even less good looking version of Frank. Yeah, I know. He's like, do you think that that dude is just like the nerdier Frank? He does look like the nerdier Frank. Yeah, like maybe, like maybe he spanked a girl's bum once in the bedroom, and he's like, I'm kind of into this whole BDSM thing. So it's saying here the derelict Frank Baker, he has middle billing, which is quite interesting. That mm-hmm. he didn't show up just at the very end because he is the most bit of bit characters uh, next to Richard Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> or, well, the doctor was played by Raul Nui, uh, Nuni, apparently. It looks like Richard Pryor. But yeah, the derelict has three whole scenes, all under a minute, mm-hmm. and I don't think one word of dialogue. The implication is that he's someone that knows somebody, a caretaker or a demon that mm-hmm. is meant to. Caretaker is the word that comes to mind. Yeah, who's meant to make sure that the lament configuration doesn't just stay in someone's trunk like fucking Bilbo Baggins for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, that's that. That's our first installation of our Halloween extravaganza of goddamn commentary tracks. (laughs) What do you got to say about the legacy of Hellraiser in terms of body horror and horror in general? What do you think that... What do you think that Clive Barker and the Cenobites and Hellraiser has 
brought to horror that is undeniable. Definitely has reminded us that there can be a spot where horror exists within the weird and cosmic and religious horror alongside some very, very serious carnal implications of the human nature and the inhuman condition or the human condition rather the inhuman condition is a Clive Barker novella but Mm -hmm. the human condition and in that lies the horror you don't need to look very far outside of us to find it Mm -hmm. yeah that's really what it had brought to horror to begin Mm -hmm. with and then of course everyone's going to say the sexiness and the cool trench coats but yeah, I, 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 like aesthetically, I think, but I, I you know, the, 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 the strange thing is, is aside from certain hand picked films, The Void comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't even really think of people who would be overtly influenced by Hellraiser because I think it's such a specific thing that in a weird way, if you tried to do it, people would just call you out and say, well, there's better versions of this. It's called Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, uh, but I think yes, that idea of cosmic horror, um, that idea of body horror, and I think that um, unequivocally, what Clive Barker was talking about was really pushing this idea of pain and as pleasure and the body as prison, but also as deliverance to a higher plane of understanding is what he gave us with the Cenobites. And um, and I think that that sort of headiness, that intelligence, um, is is really what people who love horror can give can can put up Hellraiser and say, oh no, this is an example of a lot of smart people making something very clever based on a, a very smart person's original idea, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and 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 also. There is a there is an undeniable grotesqueness to this film, but there it's so classy at the same time, and that's how I view the Cenobites in film is just grotesque and classy, and and I I'm just I was just enamored with it as a child. Um, the first film is not my favorite. It, it definitely is one of my top horror films. But I mean, oh man, we're getting to Hellbound, and I love that movie. Yeah, Hellbound, Hellbound's great, and I, I would, I still have a real soft spot for Hellraiser as a film, though, because it, it does tap into that um, flowers in the attic sort of mm. feeling that I, I enjoy of horror being uh, present just in the everyday and every household, and the potential for horror from pretty much any human being. Uh, coupled with this quasi-religious mm-hmm. cosmic style horror, and I think the like, cosmic horror for me has even become like so much of a buzzword mm. that I feel kind of dirty using it in this context because <laughs> it was never, I don't think, destined to be like a, a fantasy or a cosmic story or a weird tale or all those other words that suited. Though I couldn't mm-hmm. deny that it all suits it. I think that, like, uh, for, first and foremost, like body horror is what it is. I think that I, I, I think the things that y- you could put on the Cenobites and what they represent, what they mean, uh, how they're filmed, how they're written. They uh, always uh, clash with the term body horror, especially when applied to something like this, because it is um, just so grotesque that you mm. you can't 
sympathize with the person and it doesn't um, hit you where it hurts, so to speak. Mm. Where something like somebody uh, eating their own flesh or somebody having a parasite within them, something that gives you the creepy crawlies. Mm. This just doesn't affect me personally like that because it is so outlandish. It's so outlandish. Yeah. But... Yeah, it really is and was in a league of its own. I mean, we'd covered uh, Perry Teo's Necromentia, which many people would call a second-rate Hellraiser because it deals with a lot of the same ideas, has mm. some of the same sort of creatures and same sort of settings and same world over top of ours that mm-hmm. Hellraiser does. And it would be one that somebody would could look at and say, yeah, well, if you want a good version of this, go to the fount that is all, which is Hellraiser. Uh, but I really appreciate different takes on this sort of idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me too. And after this commentary track, we got another one coming for you. Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Mm-hmm. So we'll be back with one more commentary track, and then you're off the hook for a year. Off the hook for a year. <laughs> you are punhead. Mass, I'll tear your funny bone apart. Mm-hmm. He sure will. I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. (laughs) And you've been listening to Dead Air.